weirdo, what's your superpower? And how will you use it to change the world? Welcome to Season 1, Issue 9 of Just Us Weirdos, a weekly serialized fiction podcast about learning to be heroic, no matter how weird your power might be. I'm creative director Gabe White, and I'm so glad you're joining me for this story today. Stick around after the story for a villainous letter segment to find out how I get saved from the evil Dr. McShane. Today, we're so excited to introduce our newest employee at Just Us Weirdos. That's right, we've hired a gaffer. Mr. Gaffer, can you say your name? I'm Sam White. Okay, Sam, tell me, who do you think is the biggest hero on Just Us Weirdos? Joker Noir. That's right, Joe Carnwath, who does our music, is definitely a superhero. Make sure you check him out on Spotify. But Sam, who's your favorite weirdo? IT girl. Graphene, a Shadow of Water, and Ninja, and Teal Titan, and Rainbow. Whoa, hey wait, you're getting ahead of yourself. Those are some Season 2 spoiler alerts there. Before we get too far ahead of ourselves, let's look back at previously on Just Us Weirdos. He snuck onto the playground at Dagmi and Amina's school, and after insulting them for a little bit, managed to convince them that they really were superheroes. And then he told them that they needed to work together to stop one of three villains. The fish boy who stole the camera, the local reporter Bernie Connors, who seemed to be erasing people's memories, and the vice president of Binary Consolidated and Dagny Work's mom, Mrs. Gwenifer Work. But before we get started with today's episode, I do want to acknowledge that not everyone out there has the appropriate maturity level to handle the kind of content we produce at Just Us Weirdos. So kids, take a look at the adult sitting near you and ask yourself, are they going to be offended by scenes of kids insulting each other? Puns about sea creatures? Or a girl in a boy's locker room? If the answer to any of those questions is yes, you may just want to help them tune into NPR. Meanwhile, you can sit back, put a smile on your face, and get ready for issue number nine of Just Us Weirdos. Brainwashing, boyfish, and binary. Oh my. Dagny absentmindedly spins in an office chair in Beninja's command center in the old-school garage. The feeling she has isn't quite like the feeling of seeing video of something you can't believe. The thing is, Dagny can believe that her mom is involved in what seems to be supervillainous activity. After all, Mrs. Work shot Dagny's dad into space, So, Dagny is able to accept this truth, but she's just not ready to deal with it yet. I need to talk to my mother, Dagny says. Bad idea, the ninja says. We already have one suspected mind controller on our short list of problems to solve. Talking isn't going to solve any extra problems. This situation demands action. She's my mom, Dagny says. I'm going to talk to her. Amina pipes in. I hate to say it, but I think Beninja is right. I don't think facing her is the most important thing we can do right now. 
Dagny's reaction to Beninja had been calm. Kirby is someone she doesn't know very well, and she doesn't expect him to know how she thinks. But Amina is Dagny's best friend, and this feels like a betrayal. Dagny doesn't hold back. This isn't a vote. This isn't a game. And I really don't care what you think. You can do whatever you want. I'm going to talk to my mom. Dagny stands up, walks over to the garage door, and slams on the button to open it. But Ninja picks up a remote and jams a button himself, stopping the garage door. Dagny, his IT girl, gives him a cold look and whispers to the remote, Reset. It does, and the door continues opening. Dagny steps out of the garage and runs to her bike, ready to head downtown to Binary Tower immediately. After his remote finishes restarting, Beninja closes the garage door. Most unfortunate, he says. It would have been helpful to have her running comms at the command center while you and I go after Bernie. Amina scoffs. Why wouldn't you have been running comms while IT Girl and I went after Fishboy? Beninja shakes his head. Fishboy is clearly the lowest threat here. Amina pounds her fist on the desk. And that means we have an opportunity to deal with him, which reduces the bad guy's overall power. Beninja shakes his head at her. If you're trying to talk strategy, the better strategy is to bring more strength. That's why we all need to go after Bernie together. Amina stumps away from him. If it's just about more strength, then the two of us should go with Dagny. And do what? Beninja throws his hands up in the air. We're not going to beat up on Mrs. Work. We're not going to tell the cops to arrest the vice president of a mega-national company. We've got nothing on her. This is a fight we cannot win. Amina throws her hands up in the air. So then what's your perfect plan for Bernie Connors? I'll improvise. Improvise alone, then. I'm going after Fishboy. Not wanting to wait for a garage door opener, Amina kicks open a stuck side door in the command center and storms out. It's only after she's walked halfway across the soccer fields that she remembers she's not Amina. She's graphene. Or at least that's how she's dressed. She had forgotten in her anger. She stashes her mask, so it looks like she's just wearing a fancy tracksuit. There's still a bright silver G on her chest, so she quickly sketches a jacket on the grass with her fingertip, then picks it up off the ground. It's a little odd-looking, and the silver of the graphite is stained with green from the grass, but it'll do. Amina puts on the jacket she has just drawn and zips it up. Then she tries to figure out how she's going to track down Jules Jones, a.k.a. Fishboy. She starts by going into the school administration building. Mr. Finkel, the district assistant, is still at his desk even though school has ended. How can I help you, Amina? He asks. Amina prepares a lie. I need to use a computer for some research, but both my parents are hogging our laptops at home, and the library's internet is down. Can I use one here? Oh, honey, sure you can, Mr. Finkel says. Amina does a quick search on social media and figures out that Jules Jones is on the swim team at his school. She cross-references that info with his school's web calendar. Bingo! 
He has practice in 20 minutes, which is just about as long as it will take her to bike to the nearby town of Majestic Valley, where his school is. Amina gets up and starts heading out. That was fast, Mr. Finkel says. Uh, yeah, Amina says, trying to figure out how to talk her way out of this. As soon as I got online, I got a message from Dad that he's done with his laptop. So I guess I'd rather work on my project at home. Thanks. Amina jogs the few blocks back to her school, hops on her bike, and begins to pedal for Majestic Valley, making a plan as she goes. Step one, get Jules alone. Amina parks her bike outside the Majestic Valley public pool, not bothering to put a lock on it. She walks into the old brown and red brick building smelling thickly of chlorine and approaches the front desk. There, a bored teenager talks to her without even looking away from his phone. Open swim isn't for another 30 minutes. The swim team's practicing right now. I know, Amina says. I'm actually here to talk to Jules, a student who's on the swim team. His parents can't pick him up tonight. Can you get him so I can talk to him? Step two, break so many rules. As the teenager leaves the welcome area to get Jules, Amina looks around. There are really only three ways out of the pool. Through the welcome area itself, and through one of two locker rooms. Since they don't allow community swim while a team is practicing, Amina knows the locker rooms will be empty. She takes off her pencil-drawn jacket and hangs it on a hook. It'll dissolve in a few minutes anyway. Then she stretches her graphene mask back on and takes a deep breath. Graphene steps into the boys' locker room. The first thing that surprises her is that it looks just like a mirror image of a girl's locker room. There's no dirty clothes everywhere, no filth falling out of lockers, no strange smells. Huh. It appears to be just a room. The second thing that surprises Graphene is that Jules has left his locker door open. That will help out for step three. Step three, cut off escape. Graphene shuts the door to the boys' locker room and draws a pencil line lock with her fingertip. Then she pops it off the wall and puts it on the door. Seeing Jules' locker, she does the same thing. He won't even be able to change out of his swim trunks, which should give her an advantage. While she waits, the commune on her mask buzzes. This is Beninja checking in, requesting mission status reports. Graphene swats the commune to the off position so hard she hurts her own ear a little bit. Step four, hide and wait. Graphene ducks behind a shower curtain while Jules comes out of the pool walking first through the shower area, then into the locker room proper. Hello, he says, looking around the empty locker room. He walks to his locker to grab a towel and sees the oddly shaped lock on the door. What's this, he says. He heads to the door out of the locker room and sees the same problem. What's going on? Step five, interrogate. Graphene sneaks out of the shower and up behind Jules. You stole something that belongs to me, fish boy. Jules whips his head around. You again? Did you steal another suit? Graphene doesn't answer. Instead, she quickly draws a lasso, 
pulls it off the wall to make it real, and tosses it around Jules. I'm going to be the one asking questions, fish boy. How'd you know it was me? I just said I'm going to be the one asking questions. Jules shakes his head. She said you people were going to be coming for me. I just didn't think it would be this soon. Who said that? Mrs. Work? Jules winces at her. I've got chlorine from the pool dripping into my eyes. Can't you at least let me free one hand so I can wipe it off? Fat chance of that. And you're still asking questions. I'm the one who asks questions. Jules sighs. I can't concentrate with my eyes stinging like this. Can you at least take me to the shower to rinse off the chlorine? Ugh, fine, whatever. The two walk over to the showers, with graphene's graphite rope still binding Jules. The name's not Fishboy, by the way, Jules says as he turns on the water from the shower. Whatever, Fishboy. Jules looks at graphene through a curtain of water. My name is Fish Out of Water, he says with a smile. In a second, the graphite lasso falls to Graphene's side. Jules has disappeared. No, not disappeared. A foot-long rainbow trout now flops around the bottom of the shower. Amina goes to pick the slippery fish up, but then it flops hard away from her, beginning to sail through the air. As it leaves the cone of the shower water, the fish turns back into Jules, still flying through the air like a kung fu master. He's jumping back towards the pool area. Jules grabs a towel before he lands and quickly wraps it around his head. Step 6. Improvise. Graphene runs through the now hot shower water towards Jules, trying to sketch a new lasso on her way. But the walls are too wet and her graphite fingertip can't make a drawing. She gives up and dives towards Jules with her shorter lasso, but he's quick. He runs out of the shower room and back into the pool area. The swim coach standing by the side of the pool looks over surprised and blows his whistle. What's going on here? We have swim practice. Who are you? He doesn't recognize Jules with the towel wrapped around his head. And who are you? The coach yells as Graphene comes barreling out of the boys' locker room behind him. Graphene is a little bit faster than Fish Out of Water, and she's nearly close enough to slip the lasso back around him. She's not quite sure what she's going to do after that, but the name of this step is Improvise, right? Unfortunately, Fish Out of Water doesn't give her the time to do this. He dives into the deep end of the pool with the towel still wrapped around his head. He kicks forward a little bit, and the athletic boy's body is quickly replaced by a huge gray blob of a creature. Whoa, a huge manatee! The coach yells. Amina tries to sketch something that will help her on the tiled floor around the pool, but everything is just too wet. The manatee swims forward with alarming speed, as the screaming kids in swim practice scramble towards the edges of the pool. As the manatee gets to the halfway point, it seems to fold itself in half, and then it lunges rapidly out of the water, turning back into the towel-headed fish out of water as it leaves. The force of the manatee's jump propels the boy through the air towards an emergency exit at the back of the pool building. Fish out of water pushes open the door. A fire alarm sounds, and the coach yells, 
everyone out of the pool. Graphene turns her mask's comm unit back on to ask Vagnir Beninja if they're doing any better, but it doesn't turn on. As her hand comes away dripping with water, she thinks she knows why. Amina runs out of the pool area through the boys' locker room. Meanwhile, on a bicycle. The bike ride from Quad Meadows Middle School to the downtown headquarters of Binary Consolidated takes about a half hour. At the halfway point, Dagny gets off her bike and takes off her vest and hoodie, stashing them in her backpack. She needs to confront her mom as Dagny, not IT girl. Still, she has a hunch she doesn't want anyone to see her going into the tower. She takes her bike and stashes it in an alley by a truck dock behind the building, telling a security camera to reset on the way. Fortunately, it's after 5 o'clock now, and the majority of workers on the lower floors of the building will be gone. Dagny walks to the truck dock door and is unsurprised to find it locked. But Binary, makers of technology and devices from computers to spaceships to coffee makers, has invested in an incredibly high-tech, computer-controlled door locking system. Dagny knows that simply resetting the system won't unlock the doors, but she has learned a new trick today. IT girl listens for the voice of the lock system. And when she hears it, she listens even more deeply. Within, she begins to hear the voices of individual electronic locks. She picks out the one closest to her. I'm cold, it says. Huh, I wouldn't have guessed that would be a bug, Dagny says, as she commands the individual lock to reset. With a crack like a snapping branch, the door unlocks and Dagny lets herself in to Binary Consolidated. She walks with purpose to the freight elevator, muttering, Reset! at every security camera she spots. There are only two elevators that go to the 18th floor. The executive elevator in the central part of the building goes to every floor, but requires a keycard to get in, and it will probably have a guard in it, even at this time of day. However, even the top executives on the 18th floor need packages delivered, so the freight elevator goes up there as well. Dagny enters the freight elevator, punches the 18 button, and patiently rides up. On the way, she begins to wonder what exactly she's going to say. She realizes that storming away to do something is pretty easy, but actually figuring out how to do it well is much harder. Her thoughts are interrupted by a beep at the 16th floor, and the huge industrial freight elevator slows down. Shoot, someone's opening it. Reset, Dagny whispers to the elevator control panel. But it's no use. The freight elevator is an old piece of technology, and it's not computer controlled. The elevator doors open onto a gigantic, pristine laboratory, where dozens of tired-looking scientists and engineers stand around an eight-limbed robot as long as a truck. At the center of the white and silver limbs is a pod sized for a human rider. Oh, uh, hello, Mrs. Work, one of the scientists says. The other workers gasp, saying, Oh no, is Mrs. Work here? While others say, Oh, it's just Dagny. And a third says, Are they all sending their kids to check on our progress now? Uh, hello, Dagny says. I actually just came here to see my mom. Ooh, sweetie, the scientist says. She took the helicopter to Harbor Bay this morning. She's not here right now. 
Dagny feels a mixture of disappointment and relief. She knows she needs to talk to her mom, but she still has no idea what she's going to say. She says to one of the scientists, I thought this project you're working on wasn't supposed to be finished until the spring. It wasn't, he says, but young Mr. Kuramoto checked in on us last week, and we got the sense that he wanted us to go way faster. We worked nonstop through the weekend, and we finished the suit. We call it the NSE bot. I only know Mrs. Work is gone right now, because I asked if we could show her, and we got the message that she's out of town. The suit looks great, Dagny says, without much enthusiasm. I, um, guess I'll be going home now. She crowds to the back of the freight elevator as the lab workers wheel the massive robotic spider into the elevator, and she rides back down to the shipping area with them, letting her breath go slowly. As she steps off the elevator, she sighs and grabs her new costume from her backpack. Dagny has failed her mission. She doesn't feel worthy of wearing it, but wants to check in with Amina and Kirby to see how their missions are going. Now broadcasting from my room live. Well, I guess I should say Dr. McShape locked me in my room again and welded the door shut. I called my cousins to see if they knew any heroes to help me. 10-year-old Alex from Downers Grove, Illinois, and 9-year-old Dylan from Caledonia, Michigan. All three of us came up with a whole team of heroes, and we're hoping they can beat Dr. McShape. You're never going to beat me. My weakness is the letters X, P, and H, and you'll never come up with powers using those letters. Oh yeah? Well, first, here comes Xylophone Man. He can make any type of music he wants. The music is so good, you'll have to dance. Hey, this is pretty catchy. But so what? I'm dancing now. I can still defeat you while I'm dancing. Not once Phone Boy comes along, he's going to use his hyperactive iPhone X power and blast you with iPhone Xs that has lots of apps. No worries, I'm Dr. McShape. I can turn into anything. Let me just become an app. I think I'll become a game. You can call me McShape.io. Ha! That's part of my plan. Now that you're an app, you have to pay Apple so much fees that you won't be able to afford to be a villain anymore. Oh shoot, now I'm dancing and I have no money. But I'm still here and I'm still going to beat you. Wait, why does everything look like a hexagon all of a sudden? It's hexagon power, dude. I think he's here to defeat you. You're right, all these little hexagons appear when he uses his power. Oh no, I'm going to turn myself into a hexagon so I don't get caught. Quick, put all the hexagons together and make them into a soccer ball. No! Now we can deflate it, and that's how we defeat Dr. McShape. Gabe, this is your dad. Are you still in your room? I've got a great joke you've got to hear. Okay. Get ready and listen. A penguin, an echidna, and a rabbi go into an ice cream store together. 
The rabbi and the echidna both order vanilla ice cream, but the penguin says, Is it an orthodox rabbi? What? Who's that? Who just ruined my joke? Oh no, this is a villain that 40-year-old Michael Dark of Gainesville, Florida, told me about. His name is Jokestopper, and he can sense the exact moment to interrupt the punchline to stop a joke from being funny. This cannot stand. I'll beat him with my own superior joke power. What do you call a fish with no eyes? Do you remember that three-eyed fish from The Simpsons? No, it hurts. Wait, wait, I've got another one. What do you call a bear with no teeth? I don't know. What? A gummy... Sounds like someone needs to go to the dentist. No! You have to help us find Jokestopper's weakness. I'll turn on the random letter generator and... Generating... Woo! It looks like Jokestopper's weakness is U, B, and G. That's right. We need your help, listener. Send us superheroes that use the letters U, B, and G to stop the Jokestopper. Or the world will never be funny again. The struggle is real, peeps. Thanks, Creative Director Gabe. Thanks to our newest employee, Gaffer Sam. And thanks again to Alex, Dylan, and Michael, who participated in Villainous Letters this week. As always, we love to see our listeners engaging with the show. Send us your artwork, send us your superhero ideas, and in particular, tell us about silly villains that you can think of for Villainous Letters, or if you have a hero idea that uses the letters U, B, and G to beat Jokestopper, tell us about that. There's so many different places you can share this with us. You can find us on Facebook and Twitter at Just Us Weirdos or Instagram at Just Us Weirdos Podcast. You can email us at hero at justusweirdos.com or you can submit your ideas on a form on our website at justusweirdos.com. While you're there, make sure to subscribe to the show. That way you get the newest issue every week when it releases. We have a November goal of making it to the top 200 podcast charts for Apple Kids and Family category. To do this, we need your help. If you haven't written a review yet, please do so. And please also recommend the show to a friend. If every listener tells just one friend about the show, we'll have twice as many listeners next week. Huh, wait, I thought I was making a joke, but Jokestopper didn't come along. That's weird. As usual, special thanks to Joe Carnwath and his brother James, who together wrote, performed, and produced our theme music. Check out Joe's music online at joecarnwath.com or find him on Spotify. While you're at Spotify, also check out the band Love Hustler, who performed Cinderella, which you're listening to right now. Additional music includes Zigzag by Kevin McLeod of Incompetent.com. Licensed under Creative Commons by Attribution 3.0. Thanks for listening, and remember, be kind, be creative, and most of all, be weird. See you next week, weirdos. Knock, knock. Who's there? Interrupting Cheeseburger. Interrupting Cheeseburger who? What? Cheeseburgers can't talk. We'll never defeat the joke stopper. Like I said, the struggle is real, peeps. <laughs>